Do I get to flip any switches on this thing? Am I good to go? I think you are on, but... Okay. All right. Good morning, everybody. I was going to say, I've, I've, I've ridden shotgun in that shuttle bus with Mitch before. <laughs> um, driving through, like, the Crossroads lunch rush. And he just, he whips that thing around like he's the only guy on the road. He did, he did a U-turn on, <laughs> on Broadway. I couldn't believe it. I was terrified, personally. But, but did you? No, I'm here right now. <laughs> By the grace of God. <laughs> um, all right. Uh, Good morning, everyone. I'm Nick. If I haven't had a chance to meet you, I think I've got to meet a lot of you over the last couple of years. Um, there are some newer faces that I haven't seen before, but um, hopefully I'll get a chance to talk or something in the coming coming weeks or uh, maybe after today, depending on when I get done with this. But um, yeah, so I've been at MBT for about five years. Um, I think just, just over that. Um, this is my wife over here. Her name's Hannah. If any of you are in LFBI, you're probably emailing her. She is uh, the registrar for LFBI, whatever the heck that means, right? Um, and uh, we've got a kid. We've got a two-year-old son named Shiloh who uh, is who's great. Um, so, okay, Mitch invited me to come talk today. So um, this, this is a message focused on discipleship, and really it's a character study. So we're going to be looking at one of the 12 original disciples at length, uh, and seeing what we can gather about him that, that hopefully we can be able to apply to our own lives. Um, so I'll just go ahead and get into it. You know, something that I was thinking about as I was preparing this study is this idea that's been getting, getting floated around uh, the ministries that I'm a part of um, over the last year, really, and it's this idea that God used 12 reputationless men to turn the world upside down with the gospel. Okay, so it's, it's interesting, as you, as you study out the disciples, the original 12 specifically, um, you, you start to see that all these guys were very different. Like, um, and, and even the, the women that were with that group, like everybody, everybody was different. Um, so, so God had to use them all differently, okay? And um, yeah, you know, God used them all to accomplish the same thing, just in different ways. Uh, off the top of anybody's head, does anybody know... Uh, the most mentioned disciple of the original 12 throughout Scripture. Just call it out. Yeah, it's Peter. Okay, I heard Peter out there somewhere. Um, yeah, it's Peter. Um, so Peter was one of the 12, right? And he's kind of a well-known uh, disciple being the most mentioned uh, for one, but also somebody he's made an example of uh, frequently. Um, his name shows up in Scripture 156 times in our New Testament. Okay. Now he's mentioned that much because he was very active in Jesus' ministry. He said a lot. He did a lot. He was brought up a lot. He inserted himself into conversations and situations questionably at that at times. Uh, I, you know, I lead a small group Bible study in South Kansas City of some young adults, some men, young adults, and um, whenever we have a new guy in Bible study and Peter comes up and you know they say, "Well, who's Peter?" I always introduce him as he's the guy in a room just like this. Who has, who, who's constantly thinking in the back of his mind, man, if somebody comes in this room right now, and I even for a second sense that they're a threat, I'm going to be the first person to get up and take this guy down. You know? um, and if we're being honest, in a room this size, with, you know, I, don't think, I don't think this type of feeling goes away as you get older, but um, 
somebody's already thought that this morning, I'm sure, uh, at some point. Um, and that's because guys can be like that. Guys have these hero complexes, right? And Peter was, one, you know, one of his personality traits was having this hero complex. Now, it's interesting to me that Jesus had disciples whose names showed up in Scripture more than 150 times. But then he had some other disciples whose names show up as little as four and six times throughout all of, all of Scripture. Um, Thaddeus, for example. Some of you may be hearing Thaddeus' name for the very first time, but Thaddeus is one of the 12 disciples as well. Uh, and his name, uh, in all the different forms of it, because he went by several names, just shows up six times throughout all of Scripture. Okay? Um, so what the heck is up with that? Why, how did Peter get 156 mentions, but Thaddeus got six? You know, like what was Thaddeus doing? Was he just snoozing, barely getting by, you know? Did Jesus really even need him in the ministry? You know, I mean, if he was going to use Peter that much, um, the answer, of course, is yes. Jesus, Jesus wanted Thaddeus to be in the ministry. Uh, even if he was going to be mentioned way less, uh, does it make him less important? And sometimes I think that can be the case. That's our, that's our own thoughts. Um, but Jesus' purpose is to have every one of his followers do the work of his ministry regardless of how many times their names are going to appear throughout history. Right? Um, every follower of Jesus Christ has an opportunity to make an, in, an impact in Jesus' ministry, regardless of how big or small their personalities are, right? Regardless of how confident or shy they may be, uh, God can and will use any of us as we are to reach people that only we could reach with the gospel of Jesus Christ. At the end of the day, like, not everybody can respond to a guy like Peter. And... You know, maybe they need a Thaddeus to, to present the gospel to them, you know. Um, so today, you know, this is kind of an idea we're going into, into the study with, but today we're going to be uh, looking at one of the 12 disciples, none of which we've talked about this morning. Um, but the one that we will be talking about, I believe, is a good example of this very idea. The idea that God will use individuals as his followers exactly how he knows they can be used as long as they're ready and willing to be used. Um, so with that, I'm going to pray real quick, and then we're going to get into it. Um, God, thank you for today, Lord. Uh, thank you for your word. Thank you for uh, its truth and uh, the strength and the guidance that it provides us. God, we're grateful for the examples of, of men and women that you've given us throughout Scripture that we can glean from, that we can uh, learn from and be changed by. Uh, God, I do, I, do, I do pray that as... as as people who maybe consider themselves to be disciples of Jesus Christ, that um, we would allow uh, the example of, of, of the disciples we have in Scripture to, to help us be conformed to your image. Um, and I pray we wouldn't push against it. I pray that we'd have soft hearts to it and that uh, your word would, would change us. So uh, move me aside. Take my nerves away, Lord. Um, we are grateful for you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Alright, so the disciple that we're going to be talking about this morning uh, is Andrew. Okay? So Andrew was one of the 12 disciples of Jesus Christ, the disciple named Andrew. Um, and he's going to be our main example this morning. And again, we're going to be using the mentions of Andrew throughout Scripture to see what, um, to see some characteristics of what a true disciple looks like and how they live their life and how they how they operate, how they talk, how they go about doing things. Um, and by operate, yeah, I really just mean how, 
how, how we should go about doing the work of Jesus Christ. But before I do that, I do not want to assume that uh, everybody in the room is uh, you know, like completely on board with what a disciple of Jesus Christ is. So let's talk about that for a second, just using a, a simple definition. Um, so what is a disciple of Jesus Christ? Okay, so first of all, a disciple of Jesus Christ is a minister of the gospel. Okay? So what's a minister? That would be my first question. A minister, if you, if you look up that word minister on like a Bible app, and you go find the first mention of it, it's going to take you back to the book of Exodus. And I think it's Exodus chapter 24, maybe verse 13. Um, but that's the first time that word comes up. And uh, what, it, what it's saying is that there's this guy, Joshua, who's the minister to Moses. Okay, so we see there's a relationship between these two guys. And then if you look up the definition of that word minister, you're going to see that minister means to assist or to serve. Okay, so Joshua is like an assistant to Moses. Um, So when we think about being ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ, uh, what we're doing is we are serving and assisting the gospel. When we are assisting anything, um, we're, we're helping to carry out the agenda of that thing we are serving. And as we, as we do that, we become doers of the gospel work. So that's what, that's what a minister of the gospel is. Um, now, in addition to that, as we become doers of the gospel work, what we become is active in living out our faith. So disciples of Jesus Christ are active in living out their faith as they do the work of the gospel. Uh, but before all else, and, and probably most importantly, what a disciple is, is they are a student. Okay? A disciple is a student of Jesus Christ. So what do students do? You know, what do they do? They learn things, they observe things, and then they start doing and practicing the things that they've learned and observed. Okay, so uh, a disciple of Jesus Christ, they are learners of his words, they are observers of his actions, and then they become foot soldiers in his mission. You know, once they've done some learning and observing, they start picking up the plow and callousing their hands for the gospel of Jesus Christ and taking part in the actual work in, in the actual mission. So all of these traits uh, are, are, are seen very clearly in, in the life of the disciple Andrew uh, as he gets mentioned throughout scripture. It's very apparent by the way that he chose to live his life by the things he chose to do that this guy was a doer of the gospel work. He was a disciple indeed. Okay, so um, let's, let's take a look at Andrew. Let's start out with that at this point. So, um, okay. So first, first thing we want to note about Andrew is that he was a fisherman by trade. Okay, and we read in Matthew 4.18 and then also in Mark 1.16 um, this very thing. So Mark 4.18 says, And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brethren, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. Okay, Mark 1.16 says something almost identical, but ends with that same phrasing of words, for they were fishers. All right, so that's one thing that we learn from these two verses uh, as, we, as we see these mentions of Andrew. But the other thing we learn from these verses is that Andrew was the brother to Simon Peter. Okay, or, or just Peter, as we mentioned earlier. And he's called out as being the brother of Simon Peter almost every time he gets mentioned. You know, like it comes up repeatedly. So we mentioned earlier that uh, you know, Peter's name shows up for various reasons 156 times throughout the New Testament. Um, Andrew's name, on the other hand, is only mentioned 12 times. 
throughout all of the New Testament. So, you know, at first glance, it's like, okay, so, man, Andrew must have, at some level, felt like he was living in the shadow of his brother, to some degree. Maybe. Um, he's like, man, this, he was either that or he was, like, annoyed and embarrassed by Peter. I don't know. But, um, nonetheless, Peter was getting, you know, Peter was was a much more focal point of, of that, that group of 12 men than, than Andrew was. Now, it goes without saying that as you read on past the four Gospels, uh, and especially as you get into the book of Acts, um, you start to see that Peter just had, he had a huge impact on developing the early church and, and putting in the work to, you know, to help the early church become what it became. Um, after Christ finished his ministry on earth, <coughs> Peter sort of just put his money where his, where his mouth was. Um, and he really started to become a leader to those to the other disciples at that time. And I think, you know, his personality probably played into that. And Jesus probably knew that all along, right? That is 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 loud and rambunctious as and as Peter is right now. Uh, someday, I think that those personality traits are really going to be useful for the mission that I've got for my disciples. It's on, it's also needless to say that Andrew's role in establishing the church was not as obviously impactful. Uh, and is not as well known as his brothers. Um, it's not. Andrew was quieter. He was less rambunctious. He had to have been. Like we don't, we don't read about Andrew cutting off a Roman soldier's ear uh, in the middle of the night, the night before Jesus is going to be crucified, right? That was Peter's thing. Like Peter didn't consider the fact that we need ears to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, so he just sliced that thing right off. Um, and again, you know, we're talking about real people in real events in history. So this is another thing I want to make note of, is that like we, sh- we shouldn't overlook the fact that as we read about all these stories throughout Scripture and all these different people, that like their personalities are showing through in their actions. Right? Like That's what they're revealing to us. It's like, this, wow, this is what this guy was like. Peter was really like that. Andrew was really like something else. Um, yeah, and then at the end of the day, it's like it's unavoidable to, to just see that Andrew's personality was a bit more tamed than his brother Peter's personality. Uh, sure, if you'd like to. Uh, sorry, I, was, I don't know if we can like uh, just say things. <coughs> uh, if you got something to say real quick, you could. Oh, no, I'm saying, um, so you're saying that, um, that Peter was like a ruthless, not ruthless, but like um, smart. Uh, arguably, Peter was a smart person. <laughs> arguably, uh, here why don't we why don't we talk after after uh, service here? Um, I like the question though. Great question. Um, so what we do know about Andrew helps us to identify some character qualities, some really important marks of a true disciple of Jesus Christ. And you know, regardless of how many times Andrew was mentioned throughout Scripture, what he was like in comparison to his brother. The truth is, as far as Jesus' disciples go, he really isn't all that interested in what we're like in comparison to one another. You know? He, he really doesn't care all that much. That's not the focus of Jesus' ministry. But sometimes that is our focus, isn't it? As disciples of Jesus Christ, instead of serving alongside each other while knowing that God can use each one of us in, in the way that only each one of us can be used, uh, we, we get caught up in comparing and, and imitating one another, don't we? And it's like, man, Jesus Christ said that we should be conformed to His image, not to the image of, you know, this disciple or that disciple or whatever it may be. Um, As far as our personalities go, it's actually our uniqueness 
as individuals that God is interested in for the sake of his mission. Andrew was unique as an individual. He was not busy trying to imitate his brother. And I think that's one really notable thing about him is that like he never, Andrew was doing his own thing. Like he, he was letting Peter be Peter and he was focusing on how he could be used by Christ. So one thing that made Andrew unique was how he desired so greatly to spend time with men who were noticeably holy, uh, who looked different from the rest of the world, and who were um, following after Jesus Christ even before Jesus Christ had become fully engaged in his ministry on earth. You know, we see in the Gospel of John exclusively that Andrew was a disciple of John the Baptist before he ever followed after Jesus Christ. John chapter 1 verse 40 tells us this, One of the two which heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. Okay, so this John that's being spoke about in this verse is John the Baptist. Um, So John the Baptist, who's he? He's this guy that had a reputation for being particularly strange um, amongst the nation of Israel at this time. He lived in the wilderness. He appeared to be sort of like in a state of homelessness. I think by definition he probably was. He wore strange clothes. He wouldn't cut his hair. He ate a lot of locusts. He was eating insects for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Um, Being a follower of John the Baptist would have been a hard thing. It definitely would have been. Uh, But even with that being the case, even with all his oddities, um, he was an active spiritual authority on earth at this time. And he was a stark contrast to what other religious authorities looked like uh, during this time especially, you know, and he had, a, he had a message that he was communicating. Um, and it, too, was different from what would have been getting taught in the synagogues by, you know, the, uh, the Pharisees and, and whatever it may be. Rather than focusing on an Old Testament law, um, John the Baptist's message was this. It was, make straight the way of the Lord. He wanted people to engage in preparing the way for the coming Messiah. And he wasn't talking about, like, a physical preparation. He wasn't asking for a brick road to be built for the Messiah to walk on. He was talking about preparation in the hearts and the minds of the people. Um, Andrew didn't question the message that John the Baptist was presenting, which most people at that time, again, were like, get this dude away from me. He's got, he's got cricket legs in his teeth or whatever it was. Um, but rather, Andrew followed after him and desired to learn of what he was teaching, which brings us to a really important point about Andrew's character. He was teachable. Andrew was a teachable guy, and this is something that disciples of Jesus Christ have to be if they're going to be able to follow after the Lord in a right way. They have to be teachable. They have to be able to be taught. Andrew was so teachable, you know, that at the moment that John the Baptist announced to his disciples as he saw Christ, um, and we read this in John chapter 1, verse 36, uh, John the Baptist says, And looking upon Jesus as he walked, he saith, Behold the Lamb of God. He's literally like, Guys, This is the guy that we've been preparing the way for all this time. He's here now. In that moment, Andrew would obediently begin to follow after Jesus Christ and would go on to spend a day with him for the very first time. You know, because because Andrew was obedient um, and teachable to his current leader, Andrew knew what he should be doing next. Right? He didn't have to question what he should be doing going forward. He had been obedient. He had been teachable. It was clear to him what he should be doing after that. And uh, after that moment, Andrew would make it a point to follow after Jesus Christ, which takes me to my very first key point, um, which is a disciple of Jesus Christ must be ready and willing to follow and be taught by godly men and women. 
Um, you know, disciples, they have to be obedient and teachable. They have to be, which, which actually requires something called humility. And Sam was talking about it at the end of first service today. Like, disciples have to be humble if they're going to be teachable. Um, it's pretty hard to be prideful and teachable at the same time. These two things kind of work against each other. Um, we have to approach God's Word and the people that God has placed in our lives from a place of humility. So, so as disciples, um, or people who are considering getting discipled, whatever it may be, like we got to ask ourselves uh, at least one tough question today, but we're going to ask three. So the first one is, are you teachable? Are you teachable? Or are you prone to argue? Do you, do you pride yourself in being uh, described as disagreeable? I know some people who are like, oh, I'm very disagreeable. It's just like, oh, yeah? <laughs> cool, I'll try to steer clear from you. Um, do you think you know better than the authoritative words that God has given us? And that's the, that's the real question. Um, when faced with the truth of God's word, can you take it in or do you, do you, do you deflect it away? Because um, one makes you teachable, the other does not. And, and really, this all plays into being able to obey authority and to, to, to being able to follow. And that's something that we can very clearly learn from Andrew. Andrew knew who and how to follow because he was a teachable guy. Okay, so Andrew gets the opportunity to meet Jesus Christ. That's where we just left off at. And as we continue to read about his actions and decisions going forward, after that moment, we find out that he goes on to do what any good disciple does after they meet Jesus Christ. He goes and tells someone about it. He, he immediately begins evangelizing. Um, that's, that's his immediate reaction. We see that in John chapter 1, verses 38 through 42. But specifically in verse 41 and 42, we see, uh, we see this moment take place. So after following Jesus for a day and accepting Jesus' and accepting Jesus's invitation to come and see where he dwelt, so Andrew accepts that invitation. Uh, we read that in verse 39. It's not up here. But uh, Andrew goes and sees where, where Jesus is living and what his life looks like. He's, he's allowed to see into the personal life of Jesus Christ, which is probably a pretty incredible thing. Again, he'd been preparing the way for this, for this very man uh, for some time. So he spends this personal time with Jesus Christ, and then Andrew immediately goes and finds his brother Peter. And to Peter, he proclaims out loud, without shame or consideration, for how it might, found, uh, for how it might sound, Andrew says to Peter in verse 41, he says, We have found the Messiah. <clears throat> so he's talking to Peter, his brother, about Jesus Christ. And he didn't simply stop at claiming this amazing news to his brother. He took the extra step, and what we read is that he brought him to Jesus. Okay, so he shares, you know, this amazing news that he they, they'd found the Messiah. He brings uh, Peter to meet him. And this is a really, this is a super incredible thing at the end of the day. Um, when we consider all factors, because of Andrew's desire and willingness to share Jesus with somebody that he loved and cared for, his brother, Peter, as we know, and as we've already talked about, goes on to be used greatly in establishing so much of the Lord's work. Okay, we know that because we've got the Word of God in full, so we know what happens after, after these moments in our Bible. But Andrew could not have known that. Andrew couldn't have been clued in on how Peter was going to be used. Um... He didn't know, but we know it. And again, taking all of that into consideration, it can be said that Andrew's decision to evangelize to his family, to his own blood, is one of the most significant moments of evangelism 
throughout history. Um, and that's something we can't miss. You know, we ourselves, just like Andrew, never know how the people that we introduce to Jesus Christ are going to be used by God. We have no way of knowing. But because we do not know, uh, we should share our faith with them. You know, I could, any of us could leave this room today and go into Midtown and go tell some stranger on the street about how it is that we found the Messiah. And maybe they'll be receptive to that, you know. Um, and, and who knows, like maybe two years from now, um, if it was me, like that person could be the next Bible study leader in Kaya. They could be taking my Bible study from me while I transition into a different ministry. Seven to ten years from then, they could be the next Living Faith Church Planner. We just, we just don't know. Um, and man, there, you know, there's no comparing here. They, they could just become an evangelist who leads tons and tons of people to the Lord. Like, we don't know how God is going to use people. Um, and because we don't know, man, we should share our faith as disciples with people. We should tell them how it is that we found the Messiah in our own lives. Amen, brother. <clears throat> now, this would not be the only time that we see Andrew introduce someone to Jesus either. We're going to look at two more uh, moments of evangelism for Andrew. Uh, the next one's in John chapter 6, verses 8 through 12. Um, what we read about here is, is Jesus and the disciples at the feeding of the 5,000. Okay? So I, so I think a lot of people are familiar with this story. It's well known. I knew about this story before I was a believer, before I was ever following after Jesus Christ. I was like, oh yeah, Jesus is that guy. I was 22 when I got saved, and, um, and I knew beforehand, yeah, this, this story about the guy feeding the multitude of people. Um, it's well known, but uh, briefly, what's going on here, just to, just to break it down a little bit, Jesus has a vast multitude of people that want to be around him at this time. Right? And uh, they want to see him preach. They want to see him teach. They want to be in his presence. And as it turns out, they're all getting tired and hungry. When you're following Jesus around in a nomadic lifestyle, like it wears you down. Um, and Jesus, knowing the state of his flock, wants them to be nourished, fed, and provided for, just as he does for each and every single one of us. So the scene starts out with Jesus posing this question to his disciples. Um, I think it's up here. Nope. We're getting ahead of ourselves. Um, so Jesus says in John chapter 6, verse 5, to his disciples, he says, Whence shall we buy bread that these may eat? Okay, so he's asking the question, Hey, guys, let's get together. How are we going to feed these 5,000 people? Okay, um, and then as we, as we go on to read, um, well, first of all, it's worth mentioning, the disciples are you know trying to brainstorm a little bit and... You know, they're, they're just puzzled by the question of how they're going to feed 5,000 people. Right? Again, they're living as nomads. They were barely getting by for themselves uh, a lot of the time. So um, this was a pretty daunting task for, for all of them to try and formulate together. So uh, as we do read on into chapter 6, verses 8 through 9 here, we read this solution that uh, one of the disciples had, which is, which is Andrew. So, so one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, of course, we cannot forget that caveat, um, saith unto him, There is a lad here which hath five barley loaves and two small fishes. But what are they among so many? So Andrew has this potential solution. It required that he introduce a young boy to Jesus personally. Okay, so he does that. He tells the disciples, he tells the guys, and then Jesus. He says, Hey, there's this kid here. He's got a plate of food. Maybe we can use that. Right? Uh, we actually find out from John's Gospel exclusively that it's from this boy that Jesus receives the food that he uses to multiply and feed the multitude. 
Um, now, along with that, we see in verse 9 that Andrew himself doubts that this was even a good suggestion to make and bring before Jesus. He ends it in, in that verse by saying, but what are they among so many? Um, and this is, like the, this is like the fail-safe. Like, it's when we give a friend advice that we're like, oh, I'm not sure that was good advice. So right when we're done giving it, we said, but I don't know. You should ask somebody else, you know? Like, um, that's what's going on here. But what we do see is that Andrew doesn't let his own doubts and his own understanding of how far physical resources are capable of going, he doesn't let that stop him from bringing this young boy to meet Jesus. He still does it. He simply introduces someone to the creator of all resources and gets out of the way. And lets God do what only God is capable of doing. So again, in this passage, we see someone that Andrew introduced to Jesus be used mightily for furthering his ministry. You know, Andrew was a minister of the gospel and a doer of the gospel work. I mean, this moment was seriously significant. Again, like, I knew this story before I was ever a follower of Jesus Christ. Right? So can we imagine if Andrew decided, no, I'm not going to... Like, if instead Andrew pushed the kid aside and was like, hey, listen, buddy. We are adults here <laughs> doing adult things, trying to figure out a serious situation. I'm not about to take your plate of food for three people to all my best friends and the creator of the universe and suggest that we use it to feed 5,000 people. Go away. Blend back into the crowd. You know, uh, just, just blend in. God can't use you. He can't use what you have. And he can't use me right now. Um, but how often do we do that? How often are we in positions where we're deciding what it is God can and can't do with the resources that he's given us? You know, as disciples, we can't become roadblocks and barriers to, to people getting face-to-face with the Lord just because we decided so. We should be like Andrew. We should have what is obviously like a hint of childlike faith in our life at least. Right? Because that's, you know, this, this was a kind of a crazy suggestion to bring to Jesus. But man, Andrew knew that it's in the weakness of men that God's strength is made perfect. He, he must have known that. Disciples do not have to perfect things before they bring them to God. God can do the perfecting. We can't be afraid to have our weakness be seen um, in the midst of any type of situation. We too should have childlike faith. That's something a disciple has to have. You know, there's, there's one more mention in the, uh, in the Gospel um, of John where we see Andrew introduce a group of people to Jesus. Okay, so we see this in John chapter 12, verses 20 through 22. Um, but right before this moment happens, what's, what's taking place here is this big fulfillment of prophecy. It's something you know that we call Palm Sunday. Um, and if you want to read about it in greater detail, you should look in some of the other Gospels. It's kind of brief in, in John, but like Mark chapter 11, verses 1 through 11, you can read about it at length. Uh, but to sum it up, you know, in this moment, Jesus is riding into Jerusalem on the back of a colt. He's having his triumphant entry into Jerusalem take place. And really what he's, what's happening is he's being welcomed into the city as a king would be. There's like a parade taking place. Uh, people are crying out, Hosanna in the highest. They're, they're publicly adoring him, um, which is a huge thing. They're welcoming him into the city as a king. Uh, and what we see here is that, that, that there's people that knew about Jesus at this time. Right? And even if they didn't fully understand everything about who he was, like certainly there were people in this crowd who believed him to be the Messiah. Now there were also people who probably had questions about whether or not that was the case. There was also other nations of peoples in the crowd who weren't, you know, didn't even understand really what the Messiah was. Um, 
but they were still excited and, and curious about the presence of Jesus. So that takes us to this group of people in John 12, verses 20 through 22, where it reads this, And there were certain Greeks among them that came up to worship at the feast. The same came therefore to Philip, which was of Bethsaida of Galilee, <clears throat> and desired him, saying, Sir, we would see Jesus. Philip cometh and telleth Andrew. And again, Andrew and Philip tell Jesus. So, so an interesting call out here uh, in these verses is that this group of people, they were Greeks, okay? They were non-Jewish people seeking out ways to encounter and meet Jesus as well. <coughs> um, so we see this group first approach another disciple, the disciple whose name is Philip, uh, and they make it known to him, hey, we want to see Jesus Christ. Can we meet him? Philip takes some action in bringing them to Andrew, and I don't, you know, I think there's there's a room for a little bit of speculation here uh, about why he went to Andrew first. Now, Philip was an evangelist; he evangelized himself. Um, there's examples of that throughout Scripture, but um, I don't know. Maybe it was because they were Greeks, and Philip was aware that, like, man, he's, you know, maybe we should just let Jesus focus on the nation of Israel. Whatever it may be, maybe he's just aware. Maybe he'd seen Andrew several times now, regardless of outside, outside factors, just bring people to meet Jesus Christ. Nonetheless, and, and I guess the other one is maybe they're just boys. And he was like, man, I'm going to get Andrew and we're going to go introduce him to Jesus Christ. You know? and, and that's what happened. Uh, you know, they, they get with Andrew and then, and then from Andrew they're led to meet Jesus himself. You know, a group of Gentiles, people of other nations that are led to meet Jesus by his disciples. That's exactly what that should look like. You know? We see that it didn't matter that these people were of a different culture and a different inheritance. It didn't matter that Andrew knew that Jesus' ministry was primarily focused on the nation of Israel during this time. None of that mattered. A group of people came before a disciple of Jesus Christ and made it known they wanted to meet Jesus Christ, and the disciple did not hesitate to make that happen. And this is one of the reasons why we have so much to learn from Andrew. Um, Andrew desired to introduce anyone and everyone to Jesus Christ. He's an awesome example for the modern day church age believer in how he lived out the mission with the whole attitude that we're supposed to have right now. As we're, as we're led and instructed to introduce all nations to, to our Lord and Savior. In these mentions, let's, let's, let's think about this. Let's reflect on these three moments of evangelism for a second. In these missions, we see Andrew sharing his faith with his brother Peter, okay? Right after he met Christ, which, which makes sense. Like, many of us, myself included, uh, after I got saved, I immediately developed a burden. I'm going to share my faith with my family and my closest friends. Okay, and I see that time and time again uh, as people co- start coming to the Lord. And this is awesome. This is awesome that, that, that you know, there's a burden there that that develops in so many people. And it's, it's, it's better than awesome. It's fantastic that that's taking place. But sometimes it stops there. And sometimes people shift gears to becoming comfortable Christians who no longer want to evangelize. Okay, now we didn't see Andrew stop at sharing Christ with those that were closest to him. We didn't. He went on to take people to meet Jesus that he never would have associated with beforehand. Kids and Gentiles. Like this was a unique type of ministering taking place during this time. And this is why God could use Andrew so easily. Andrew lost all prejudice when it came to introducing others to his God. 
and we need to lose all our prejudice also. Disciples must realize that everyone needs to hear about the saving grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. We can't... There you go, Mitch. We can't just have a type of person that we're willing to share Jesus with. We can't. And that takes me to my, uh, my second key point here. Um, a disciple of Jesus Christ must be ready and willing to introduce anyone to their God without hesitation. You know, disciples have to be evangelistic at their core. You can't be a disciple who doesn't evangelize. Introducing people to their God, that's all, that, I mean, that's what evangelism is. We're just, we're just introducing people to our God. You know, sometimes we, we complicate it. We try to we build it up. We make the script in our head of how it has to go. But it's like, we don't do that when we're introducing like, a f- you know, like two friends to each other, you know? Um, and yeah, it's a little different. But, but we don't have to complicate it. You know, we'll very easily enter into conversations with strangers about all, all types of stuff. We'll talk about, you know, the game from last week. We'll spend hours talking about that. I'll, like... We'll talk about hot-button political issues to make sure everybody knows where we stand on the political spectrum. We'll debate with people about this. We'll, we'll talk about our favorite TV shows with, with strangers for, for an hour, um, talking about the deep theories of the show as if it matters, you know. Uh, but, but, you know, without, without fear and without shame, we don't always bring up our Lord and Savior. People will talk about all kinds of stuff, but we don't always do that. You know, and, and the thing is, like, we don't have to be nervous, because I don't think this feeling goes away, regardless of, of how old we may be. Like, we don't have to be nervous about talking about what we're truly interested in. And if we're calling ourselves disciples of Jesus Christ, then, then, then Jesus Christ, the things that are of Him, is what we are truly interested in. And, you know, we're not nervous about talking about all those other things that we're just so, will, uh, so, so willing to engage with in life. You know, we don't have to be afraid of a negative reaction when sharing our faith as long as we can remember, you know, that, man, Jesus Christ got that reaction first. You know? Like, Jesus Christ got that reaction first. And He still said that the Gospel was for everyone. Romans chapter 1, verse 16 tells us, For I am not ashamed of the Gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So we have to ask ourselves another tough question as disciples of Jesus Christ. And that question is, do you feel compelled to share the gospel? Or do you hide it away? Do you, do you feel compelled to share the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ with people that are destined to spend an eternity in hell? A disciple does. They learn to look past their timidity and they share their faith because souls depend on it. <clears throat> we should be sharers of the gospel. Okay, there's one last characteristic we're going to look at here. Um, and, th- and this characteristic is it's primarily focused on how faithful and available Andrew was when it came to following the Lord and carrying out the mission that he had been given. Okay, so both, again, back in, if we jump back to those two verses from Matthew and Mark, uh, and we looked at these earlier, but they both end with those words, again, for they were fishers, right? For they were fishers. <clears throat> now, if you, if you carry on in Mark chapter 1, uh, and specifically in verses 17 and 18, 
what you'll see is that there's this conversation that takes place between Jesus and Andrew and Peter, right, um, in this moment. And Jesus has this proposition that he puts before, before these men. Um, and it, the, the proposition required something. It required something of these men, these reputationless men in society. Uh, and, and what the proposition required is that they forsook their nets. They had to, they had to lay down their nets. Um, Mark uh, chapter 1, verses 17 and 18 says, And Jesus saith unto them, Come ye after me, and I will make you to become fishers of men. And straightway they forsook their nets and followed him. So as it's described here, we see that Andrew and Peter, and if we kept reading on, we'd see James and John make the same decision as well. They would all choose to answer this call. They would all forsake their nets. The objects that represented their identity on earth, the purposes of their old men. They forsake them. And, and what they choose to do is to follow him, believing in this moment that in time Jesus would make them into this other thing, fishers of men. They answered the call to discipleship in this moment, to be made into fishers of men, not to immediately become fishers of men. You know, when Andrew and these men said yes to this call, they could not, again, they could not have possibly known what the next three years were going to entail for them. You know, they couldn't have known. They entered into this process from a place of not having a complete understanding of what it was they were entering into. And this, at some level, at a major level, is what faith and willingness looks like. You know, this response, it required faith and willingness to be available for something outside the norm during that time in history and during the current period in history of which we are all living. Like this, this the, the decision to say yes to the call of discipleship, it, it never looks normal to the world, does it? It required that in that moment they had to believe in something and someone that they had not yet had the chance to fully understand. And it was the faith of these men that allowed for that process to come to fruition, to become a reality, really. You know, at the very moment when they answered that call, they still were not disciples of Jesus Christ. But that is what they would become. And man, guys, that, that, that's the process of biblical discipleship. That's what it does. That's what it produces. <clears throat> now, these guys could have said no to moving forward in faith. They could, have, they could have halted their walks with the Lord right then and there. And oftentimes, like, Christians will do this very thing. Um, they become unwilling to, to say yes to moving forward in their faith because they fear what they've yet to understand. Um, and what that really is, is that, that's insecurity and that's self-reliance. And, and Satan will absolutely use those things in, in our lives to prevent us from ever doing anything with our lives for, for the Lord. We, you know, we call, the world calls that reason. Um, and Satan's just like, heck yeah, I'm happy that that's the word they, they made for it, you know? Um, these things will stop us from moving forward in faith. We've got to realize that anyone can make the awesome decision to give their life to Christ and then run the risk of spending the rest of their life doing nothing for Him. You know, avoiding the work but collecting the benefits of our salvation and then focusing on ourselves entirely. Disciples don't do this. Disciples are privy to this very thing. Wasting the time that God has given us you know, is not something that disciples choose to take part in. Um, just, just because we believed on Jesus Christ does not mean that we're following Him. 
those two things are you know they're they're not connected. Um, you can believe on Jesus Christ and just stay exactly where you are. Disciples are made as they partake in ministry. They do not simply become, they have to be made. And that takes me to my third key point. Um, a disciple of Jesus Christ must be ready and willing to take steps forward in faith even when they don't fully understand every single thing they're being called to. <clears throat> they have to. You know, there's not, a, there's not a single thing in life. There's not a job that we can get. There's not a, you know, a person or a relationship we can pursue. There's nothing in life where we can fully understand what it's going to be like until we've begun the process of, of getting there. There's not a single thing. We, everything is based on observation and assumptions. You know, you have to start doing something if you're going to understand it. And when it comes to moving forward in faith, moving forward into this thing that can feel like a mystery at the beginning, you know, we have to lean on God's understanding. It's not our own understanding that we're supposed to be leaning on in the first place. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6 tells us this, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding, and in all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Okay? So the last, the last question we've got to ask ourselves this morning about, uh, you know, as, as far as what our, looks lo- or what our life looks like, in comparison to to Andrews, is this. Are you allowing God to direct your path? You know, when we don't fully understand things that we are choosing to move forward in, we don't don't, uh, really have any choice but to rely on God for His direction. And if we do that, then praise the Lord, at the end of it all, He gets to have all the praise anyways. Like, all all the glory gets to go to Him. Because it wasn't us... We were, just, we were just moving along. We were just staying on the tracks. You know, we didn't know what the destination would look like. Um, <clears throat> you know, and it's, it's interesting just to think that by Andrew's example, and really in this case, you know, anybody, anybody's example, you know, Mitch, Pastor Dobson over here, his, his walk with the Lord started with a decision to say yes. And that, that's where all our decisions to start moving forward and our faith begin with. It just starts with an answer is say yes. It starts with forsaking something that we think is our identity right now. Uh, but the truth is, uh, Jesus Christ is the only satisfying thing that our identity, you know, can truly become. So, um, yeah, it just starts with the decision to say yes. And then, you know, in time, God helps us to understand. You know, like that's, that's just, that's the case. God will help us understand. You know, help us through His Word. He'll help us through His Spirit, and He'll help us through His church. That's His methodology. That's how He works. Okay. I'm going to wrap up here. Um, you know, in closing, I'll just say this. You know, Andrew, Andrew may have only been mentioned 12 times throughout all of Scripture, but like, oh my gosh, isn't there a lot to learn from observing this guy? Uh, in those mentions, we see he was humble. We see he was faithful. We see he was evangelistic. He was a brother. He was a teacher. He was a student. He was a leader. We, we, you know, we, we see a lot of things that a disciple of Jesus Christ is supposed to be in Andrew's example. We see someone that sought out virtue and sanctification in his spiritual life. And uh, more than anything else, we see that like, it's clear through his actions that this man loved the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, from Andrew, there is literally something all of us can learn and apply to our own lives and our own ministry right now. And it's in like... Last thing, it's not because he's awesome 
Like I'm, this, this, if that's what we take away from this, we're missing it. Like I'm not just up here trying to talk about how awesome Andrew is. Um, it's because he was ready and willing to engage in the work of someone who is truly awesome. Um, that's why we can learn from him. It's not about him. It's what he was about. And he, what he was about was, was pursuing his relationship with the Lord. So well, we should be teachable. As disciples of Jesus Christ, we should be teachable and we shouldn't be prideful. We should be sharers of the gospel rather than seeking opportunity to preserve ourselves before men. And uh, we should move forward in faith to gain godly wisdom rather than deciding to sit stagnant in the things that we don't understand. And uh, that's, that's all I got, Mitch. So thank you guys. Thank you.